Yeah, I'm really excited about today. This is our first time trying the uh, the link in advance, and it looks like we are up and going. So everything looks like a systems go here, Quint. Quint, I'm very excited to have Quint Studer on the show. He almost needs no introduction. If you've been in healthcare, unless you've been under a rock for the past 20 years, you know definitely know who Quint is. But I, I will definitely just say a few highlights about Quint. Uh, he is definitely a servant leader. He is definitely one who uh, kind of walks the talk and, 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 and talks the walk. He does both. Um, he's known for things like rounding. People, people do rounding every day, and, and that has to do with a lot of the, the training that he's done over the, over the years. Uh, Quinn Studer is the founder of the Studer Group. He is the founder of the Studer Community, uh, family of, sorry, Quint Community Institute, if I can say that right. And he's also the author of the Busy Leaders Handbook, as well as many other books, of which one of his really great books is about communities and building strong communities, which is why I wanted us to talk about that today as well. So welcome to the show, Quint Studer. Well, thank you, Ralph. You know, it's sort of neat, you know, you being a, a Houston, how you get into this space technology right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Hopefully that, that helps rub off on me. Uh, being yes, I, I love technology. It's, it's really cool. Um, also, Jason Ruda, he's already here. I think he knows you. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Poor guy. Poor guy. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, yeah, I've known Jason for a long, long time. Well, those who have questions, feel free and pipe in with any questions, any comments. If you just, if you just love Quentin, want to say hi, feel free and do that as well. Um, if you have any feedback, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you, Quint, is right now, uh, things have changed a lot, right? Between uh, this time last year to now, and we're in the age still trying to get past COVID. I've also noticed, though, that you've done a lot of things moving forward. You've been forward thinking. You've given conferences. I want to get some ideas from you based on what you've been talking about um, when you're talking about, I mean, all the different subjects you've been talking about, all these different folks from all over the country. What do you think are some of the best practices that organizations and communities need to think about in order to attract the best talent and, and keep them? Well, I think, thank you, Rallis. I think <clears throat> I've been very close to healthcare lately. I've um, yesterday was on a board meeting with TriHealth out of Cincinnati, Ohio, um, on the board of Hazelton Betty Ford, where we went through a new CEO search as the CEO, Mark Mishik, who's been tremendous, um, retired. And gee, I called him up and I said, Mark, I'm so sad you're retiring. And he said, well, I'm this old. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm that old here. And, and um, <laughs> but I'm, I still want to stay on the field until they drag me off. I'm one of these guys who probably, these athletes that don't know when to quit because you enjoy it so much. I enjoy what I do. I think when I look at it, I've really been focused on a couple things. When it comes to communities, I've been focused on don't sit here and sit and pause because I think what happened to communities, it's sort of like a NASCAR race. You know, COVID, everybody is running around the track. Some were going faster than others, but everybody was moving along the track. And then all of a sudden COVID is like throwing that, that rain is coming or lightning is coming and the flag goes down and pretty much everyone went into the pits and that's what a car does. They go into the pits. Um, and what we've done is a lot of communities have now paused or slowed down. Now, the question is, though, as COVID, as you said, moves differently, certainly less, and things start opening up, who sat there and just paused and didn't get their engine revved up? 
don't have a plan to move out and, and who's gotten ready to go. So for example, a city who I think has just been really on top of this is Beloit, Wisconsin. Beloit, Wisconsin, Diane Hendricks, who's a real patriarch investor up there, could have pulled the plug on a number of projects she was doing. And, and even in Indianapolis, where they did Bottle Works, which is her company, a big redo of the Coca-Cola plant, many people would have stopped and slowed down. And she said, no, we're going to keep going because when mm. this COVID ends, we want to let people know that we're still in business. So I, I think also at communities is really going back to these small businesses who have been struggling and, and really make sure that you're providing services to them and how to, you know, skill building, helping them get back, certainly grants. We beefed up, my Steward Community Institute does a lot of training and development to small businesses. We actually beefed up our training throughout this whole year because for some small businesses, it's sort of sad, but they actually had more time to get training, more time to look at their company because what was happening in their business. Now, on the other side, I think particularly with all businesses and communities, but particularly healthcare, um, I've been doing a lot of work, Rollis, in the area of well-being, distress to trauma. So, you know, I love creating tools. So mm -hmm. I created a tool like, you know, when you go to the doctor, the hospital, they say on a one through 10, where's your pain threshold? And, and of course, some people, it doesn't matter. They're going to believe you. So if my wife and I went to the doctor with the exact same symptoms or injuries, they'd say, Rishi, where are you on the one through 10 pain threshold? And she'd probably say a two. I'd say, do you have an 11 available somewhere? <laughs> but, you know, we have different thresholds somewhere. Right. But, but what we do is we let the organization say, where do you think this organization is? But then I was really lucky. Um, Cyfair, Amy, uh, police, the fire chief at Cyfair Fire Department out there by Houston. Oh, yeah. That's close to my leaders. house. Yeah, Busy Leaders Handbook. And they are studying it. And one of the things that I found out from her is firefighters and emergency medical personnel have this sort of self-assessment of where you're at on the stress to trauma deal. And it's a wonderful deal. It's color-coded. And you can either be in the thriving, the surviving, the struggling, or I can't make it. So what we've been recommending, Rollis, is, and we've been doing it here at Studer Family Companies, every employee sits down with their supervisor and in a very safe environment, you go over where are you at? Mm. Because I, I think right now, we're, we've I don't think any particularly healthcare environment has not been in stress. But if you look at stress, and I learned a lot of this from Dr. Mark Goldston and Diana Hendel, um, if you look at stress, it's usually short term. You know, it's going to probably go away when the event goes away, and it'll probably go back to somewhere like normal. Right. If if you look at trauma, trauma doesn't have to be long-term because it can be one, one item. My oldest grandson about five years ago was burned over 40% of his body, spent a lot of time in a burn center. And though the trauma situation is over, he'll always remember that because every time he looks at his torso, his hands, his arms, or his legs, he's going to understand that he was in a serious burn. So, But there's usually also long-term trauma. Or if you live in a situation for a long period of time, you can handle it short term, but then you just get exhausted. You mm -hmm. get wore out. So I, I think when I look at where we're at right now, sort of like the earthquake is over, but in any earthquake, and I live through hurricanes, and you know, after a hurricane, Rallis here in Pensacola, Florida, 
you know, the next day you look up, you see the damage, there's adrenaline that kicks in, you start getting your chainsaw out, you're trying to get water, so right. you're trying to find places to live, you're trying to find food, the neighbors are all loving each other and talking to each other, we're all in this together. But after a while, it sort of wears on you. Mm -hmm. And it, and I think when you look at what's happening here, so after the adrenaline of whoosh, it's over, then there's the aftershock. And I think what we have to really be serious about in healthcare is the aftershock. And I was talking to some people today from the University of South Indiana, Kevin, who runs the Masters in Healthcare Administration program there. Now, we were talking about the fact that, you know, we keep talking in healthcare about resiliency, resiliency. You need to be resilient. I think we're extremely resilient in healthcare. I think we're almost so resilient that we're so stoic and, you know, strong that we don't get help. And there's uh, two, yes. two, two things for your listeners to think about. I guarantee you their number one or two most prescribed drug for their employees is an antidepressant. It's very common. Nothing wrong with that, but it'd be nice if there were other things with it. And probably the least used resource in any healthcare system I know is the employee assistance program. I was talking to Tard Forkel of Avera, who I'm a big fan of, and we were talking about he has 2,000 employees. And if 200 of them might have breast cancer, they'd be screening, they'd be doing everything. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you there's more than 200 people that probably are struggling with some mental health issues and we won't talk about it. There's a stigma. So one of my big messages right now is you, we've got to make it safe to share our insights with people. And the beauty about most of the people that are listening to your show, they already work for good organizations. So they have a benefit plan that covers mental health. Right. They have, they have an EAP. So my tool that I've used from the fire department is really a way to discuss that and talk about it. Now, we also created a toolkit, so it doesn't mean you have to right away, depending on where you're at. So if people drop me an email at quint at quintstuter.com, um, we will send them a free toolkit that they can use in their company. So that, that I know I went to a long time into this, but I really think right now the aftershock. The other thing I think, there's some other things, Rollis, is one, you have to sort of take time to step back and say, okay, what what will what will stay the same now? There's certain things that will stay the same. We've put some new tools and techniques in that'll probably stay the same. There are certain things we did that will now will not be the same. So, right. for example, the the COVID unit might not exist anymore, or the fact that so many people had to work in different departments. You know, so so we really have to look at okay, let's talk about what's going to stay the same even after COVID. And then what's going to not stay the same? And is it something's going to go back to where they were or some things that are never going to go back to where they were? So, for example, telehealth. I, I don't think telehealth is going to go away. I agree. I, I, think, I think telehealth is one of those things that are, are going to stick. All of a sudden, if you look at what's happened, is you know, CVS and Walgreens and a lot of other players have been trying to get into the healthcare marketplace. These, these vaccinations have allowed them to get into the healthcare marketplace in a very positive way. Um, is that going to continue? I think, it, I think it will. Walmart just is a starting their own medical school now in Bentonville, Arkansas. Wow. So I think this has also brought in different players in the healthcare arena. And are they, were in they just through the pandemic or some of them are going to stick? 
the, the third thing I would say, Rollis, is, you know, I just talked to somebody the other day and they, I got a new book coming out, The Calling, and the person who works with me says, Quint, every time I do one of your books, I get so busy, I gain 15 pounds. And I'm thinking, well, that's not good. But it's sort of like COVID. How many habits have we gotten into that aren't good habits? Ah, yes. Yeah, that's true. Families got into good habits. There's families that are playing board games that didn't play board games. So there's some really good habits that formed during COVID, but there's some also some not so good habits. Yeah. So, so what are we going to do now to get ourselves back a little bit? So even with our companies during COVID, we maybe didn't confront some employees on behavior because they're going through a lot of COVID. We, we probably didn't do some things, maybe hold people as accountable as we used to because they're working so hard. We also might have got so busy, um, we, we didn't do certain things. So I think we've got to really look at, okay, what are the habits that we developed during the pandemic that are good? Um, walking, for example. You know, I'm lucky enough to live in Florida and, you know, you got to get outside. I, I've learned, I've walked a lot now. Well, should I, I want to hope I, that's a good habit. Yeah, absolutely. I hope I, I, I hope I keep that up. But for certain things, what's a, what was the good habits we adopted? Now, some of the not so good habits is, you know, I just sort of became an isolationist during the pandemic. Mm. Now, when, now when people invite me out, I say, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, but I'm not used to going out. And do I have to go out? Can't we eat at home? And, you know, um, gee, there's a wedding. I thought we don't have to go to weddings anymore because of the <laughs> pandemic. And Just give me the Zoom oh, link, right? <laughs> yes. So, so that and, and probably the last thing to, to touch on, and then I'll answer your questions, because I know I'm sort of going quick, but th those are my thoughts. These these four things um, is development, because, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan as you are. I absolutely know an HR maximizer is we're huge fans of developing people. Absolutely. That, that's why we wake up every day to help people be better. Well, when this COVID started, you know, you'd hear a company would say, well, Quint, we're going to postpone your talk. We're going to postpone our development. We're going to postpone our training because of COVID. Now, some have done it virtually, but I think in general, much of the training and development has backed off. Mm -hmm. And for some of it, well, my gosh, the person's already working six days a week. How can we do this? So I think the best thing, one of the best things you can do to tell people you love them is to invest in their development. So I, I think oh, yeah. some of the healthcare players have to come back and say, okay, we got to get back into development, investing in our people. But it was natural. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm just saying when you're you're sitting here trying to staff, looking at TriHealth, you're trying to staff a hospital. The staff, many of them went back into, you know, all of a sudden I'm the chief nurse officer, but I'm also doing nursing shifts. I'm the, um, I'm the CEO of the hospital, but I'm actually here in our community, Dawn Rudolph, who's the president of Sacred Heart, was um, got so, you know, she's been doing vaccines. She's been directing traffic. So, I mean, what I'm saying is many of the executives sort of went back into line work. So, yeah. of course, you're not going to do development. You're, you're going to not, you don't have the time, the staffing, or the resources. But now that this is over, I think we've got to catch back up in our investing in our people. Got it. Okay. No, I love that. So uh, there's a lot of things I want to unpack there, but I also want to just quickly just congratulate uh, our mutual friend here, Barbara, for uh, getting her promotion to uh, chief of staff. So I wanted to give her a, did you want to say a word for, before I give her an applause? 
Yeah, well, Barbara Scott, um, we're very fortunate. One of the things I was really smart on years ago is I quit hiring people because I'm not a good selector of people. If you look at all these rules I put in, it's to keep me from doing dumb things because I made some bad hires. That's why I do peer interviewing. That's why I have origins of psychologists to keep me from messing up. So Barbara Scott came to work for us and I actually outsourced her hiring to DC Reeves who worked with me and all the people and they hired Barbara. She came here more of an administrative assistant. Then she became our, our office manager, but she's just DC Reeves, who was a chief, my chief of staff, has now moved into our chief entre- entrepreneurship officer for our entrepreneur hub here that we started. So Barbara just, without either being asked or being told, just started stepping up and doing DC's job. And then it became really apparent, well, gee, seeing she's doing DC's job, maybe she should have DC's title and maybe even she should have a little better pay. Um, so she's just a superstar, and we're thrilled to have Barbara Scott Payne. And by the way, her name is Barbara Scott Payne. And so we, I call her Barbara Scott, and I can't tell you, Alice, how many people compliment me on using her first and last name all the time. And I have to tell them, no, that's her first name, Barbara Scott. But she loves you, Alice. You've always been great. great oh, wow. With her. Uh, I love working with her. She's, she's been instrumental. Though, the folks of you who, who are watching, she was instrumental in helping me to get Quinn on the show. So I'm going to just give her a quick a round of applause. Thank you very much for what you do, Barbara. Thank you. Okay, I, there's a couple of, quite a few folks come, come in here on, on the comments. Now, that tool you mentioned earlier, is that in the book? Is that in the, the business leader's no. hand? No, because we developed it afterwards. If somebody writes me at quint at quintstuter.com, okay. we will get them everything for free. Um, it's really a neat tool. I mean, you know, I tell people I'm not an inventor, I'm an imitator, but man, all of a sudden this hit me and it's really neat, particularly for healthcare people, because it's actually developed for emergency medical personnel from the Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And we just are going through it right now because I don't like to ever um, provide or prescribe something I'm not doing it myself. So right now we're going through with all our employees we're going through the, the grid and it's sort of neat. They'll say, well, I'm thriving here, but I am struggling a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Just sort of really a neat tool. And, and it explains everything in a real nice way. Like I'm not getting sleep. Now, when you start, I'm, I'm nervous about this. And when you move down toward the trauma line, I would call it, that is almost like, um, gee, I'm starting to self-medicate now. I'm starting mm. to do things I don't want to do. And then when you get all the way to the to the other line, it's I can't go on any longer. And I remember Hollis years ago walking into the hospital and a guy was walking out and I just said, How are you today? And he said, I think I'm gonna go kill myself. <gasps> and 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 all we of course grabbed him, did an intervention on him. But you know, if I'm not walking in that door at that morning, at that time, and he's not walking out, who knows? So We've, you know, and to, to their great credit, healthcare workers are not whiners. They're not, they don't surrender. They don't give up. Um, and I think we've got to just change the conversation in healthcare and make it okay to get help. You know, it's pretty interesting because, you know, I'm in my 39th year as a recovering alcoholic. And I talk about that a lot from the stage, what you learn in recovery and mm-hmm. surrender. And um, I had a CEO of a hospital call me maybe two months ago, and he said, Quint, you know, I just listened to one of your videotapes, and you're so open about this. 
I said, well, I am because people call me. And it was, I said, just last Sunday, a guy in healthcare called me and said his mother needed help. What would I recommend? So if people don't know that you've been through it, they're not going to reach out to you. And in healthcare, we're not really good at, at um, vulnerability because people think it's a sign of a weakness. I'll tell you one really bizarre story that people just think I'm a little crazy, but we had a physician at one of the hospitals that um, get a pretty well-known bit of ish, trouble and ended up going into a treatment center for four to five months. And he came out and the community loved him. But the question somebody asked me, well, you know, he went into treatment. Should I go him, go to see him? I said, well, the one thing I can guarantee you is right now he's about as sober as you can possibly be as a physician. <laughs> he, and and and, he, and and he's urinating about three times a week. So one thing I can assure you, he is sober. Um, but we've got to get rid of this judgmental stuff yeah. here. You know? um, and so I know I get overboard on this, but I, I just see too many people in healthcare that are struggling and suffering. And they're afraid if they ask for help, they'll be seen um, as less than. And they, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I, I applaud you for that. In fact, let me just do it for real. Uh, because <laughs> you know this, and it is not, you're not going overboard. There's a lot, I've talked to a lot, a lot of folks this year, this past year, over 100 folks, uh, guests on the show. And it's a recurring theme. They're all hurting. Um, but you're only the second, you're only the second uh, healthcare leader to mention that you had that in your background. Um, and I want to, so, so d- thank you for, for being willing to do that. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, what I'd like to do is give out a book. So the first person to put in the comments, I want you to spell out the following letters. Uh, it's it's going to be Quint, Quint, Q-U-I-N-T in the comments. The first one, in fact, the first three, the first three to do it correctly will uh, will receive a copy of the book. Okay. You can just do it in one comment. You don't have to do several. First, first three people to do Quint, I'll make sure and get you uh, get you a copy of his book. Okay, uh, one of the things that was mentioned in the comments here, I just want to make sure I don't I don't uh, overlook that. Uh, Leah says she's so excited for this conversation. She appreciated appreciate. She said, and Gwen says psychological safety is key. What's your thoughts on that, Quint? I think she's absolutely right. I think. Um and I have a new book coming out in May called The Calling, and it's for people that I think in healthcare particularly were called to the job. You know, it's almost it chooses us versus us choosing it. And in there, I have one of the chapters is on creating a safe environment for people, which means one where you feel included, one where you feel you belong, one that you feel you can share. And, and that's why um, we sort of like the fact that, um, so for example, working with Caravan Health, they had everyone, you know, they did the one through 10 on where are we at as an organization. Mm-hmm. And then people could vote online. And at the end, you could see, well, we have a lot of sevens and eights. You know, we have a lot of five and sixes. We have some threes and fours. Well, that 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 gives them, um, Tim, a, a CEO, a good idea where we're at. So right. the first thing I like about it is it's told people, the executives recognize this because we're willing to talk about it. But then you go to the individual one, which I talked about, the toolkit that I mentioned, or the, the fallen firefighter 
segment that tool that we can give them. Now it's a real safe environment. So I did two of these today. And people sort of said, well, it's a little bit here, but now I'm back over here, or I'm going through this, or sometimes it's, well, you know, and it doesn't have to be COVID. It could be relationship issues, uh-huh. it could be Absolutely. parenting yeah. issues, it could be financial issues. And that's why I created the toolkit, because the toolkit, once you do your self-assessment, then the toolkit might have some things that you don't need to maybe have a professional help. You know, you can go to this and learn about, here's some exercises you might do. Here's some breathing techniques you might do. Here's some meditation um, resources. And then, of course, a a big, you know, people forget an EAP can help you find caregivers for your mother. They can help you find legal practices. They can help you find, it's not just, oh, I'm psychologically, I need my own counseling, but it could be. It can help you find, find resources. And I just asked the, you know, and that's what I asked the other day. I was talking to a CEO and he said, well, Quint, we're rounding. And when we're rounding, I think we put in some really good conversations to get at the mental health situation. I said, that's great. But to see how effective they are, just see if you've increased your EAP utilization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of like, sort of like missed events. You know, when we got into healthcare and it was okay to talk about your near misses. Well, what happened is our near misses went way up once it became safe to talk about near misses. Right. And we can't say, oh, my gosh, we're worse now because our near misses went up. No, we said we now are recognizing near misses so we can put processes in and systems and tools and techniques in to reduce them. Same thing with the AP. If your AP utilization goes up, it probably means you're creating a safer, more inclusive, more belonging environment. Oh, I love that. That love that. In fact, uh, Gwen, she followed up. She said, kudos for Quint creating a safe environment. He's always been a fire starter. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Karen Paul, absolutely. Psychological safety is critical, especially now for organizations. And Amy Portis says, I've been going through the book with my entire leadership team, and we're loving it. Oh, congratulations, Amy. That's awesome. Okay, great. So let me ask you this. I, and I know we're, we're you're limited on time today, so I'll just kind of help you be able to wrap us up here. Give me your, your top two or three things, the actionable things that either an organization or a community should do now to unpause, right. And to get going with where you you said first was an inventory. I know that that was awesome. What else would you say beyond the inventory? I think for, I think for a community and I, I believe this, you know, I'm a big believer in measuring quality of life in communities. I think for a community, you have to be okay with playing small ball. You know, it's not about big projects. It's about doing some things to show that the community is moving forward. I know it's in Janesville, Wisconsin. They did this shop the rock last weekend. Now, you know, in Wisconsin, they ain't been shopping anything except shoveling some snow. So they did a thing called there on the rock river, shop the rock. And all of a sudden it told people it's okay to come out. It's okay to do some things. Of course you want to be safe. So you have to let people know you're open for business in your community. And you, so you've got to, and small ball is okay. The problem with many communities, everything's got to be big and it takes forever. No, just like in a workplace, you know, you do these small things that aren't small if they make a difference. I think, I think in the workplace, it, it's truly what we mentioned is, is truly, you know, these conversations that we're having on well-being. I think it's the training, the development, 
you know, um, I was lucky enough to be at a place my first time speaking in person about three weeks ago up in Chattanooga. And of course, they made it socially distanced. They have people in breakout rooms, but they told people we're, we're sort of back now. We're back training. We're back investing. I think those are really vital things to let the workforce know that, that we're moving forward. But also, I, I think you have to combine moving forward with the, the well-being because certain people are going to be able to move forward a little quicker than others. And if I'm in a city where the school has not been that open, I've got a lot of work to do with my kids because, you know, we, of course, are in Florida and, you know, Florida is a little different that we've handled COVID and yeah, everybody's handled a little differently. Many of our schools have been back now for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, as a parent, that's different than if I'm in a community where my kids aren't back at school, because right. I've got to be really consumed with the achievement gap. And I, I just did a, and I'll finish. I'm really excited about this. I just did a, a taping of a podcast on how rural healthcare and rural school districts can work together. Mm. And I said, well, 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 first of all, you know, if, if you really look at it, the best thing you can do for a school district, if you're a hospital, is make sure those moms, when they leave the hospital, understand how to build a brain. And that's what we've been doing here to 13,000 moms before they leave the hospital, because that helps the kid get ready for kindergarten. So you have to help kindergarten. I said, but if you look at it, if you're a, a healthcare system or a business, you should know when testing's happening at the school district. You should know what's going on. So wouldn't it be neat to send a note to the parents and say, hey, we understand that this middle school's testing is this week. You know, make sure that you do this, you do that, you do this. Now, for us, would it make sense if you're a non-healthcare provider, the hospital or the health system is providing you information so you can be providing it to your workforce on health and wellness. I think we've we've got to be where we're sort of um, co-mingling with each other. Um, I always tell small little communities, small little communities normally don't do a lot of training and development of small business people. Yet usually the hospital is training their people on how to hire, you know, how to communicate. Why can't you offer those same services to small businesses? Because if the small businesses get better, then you get better. Absolutely. So I think the other thing I'd really like to see, Rallis, is a lot more co-mingling of resources and realizing, well, if I'm in healthcare and I can help my parents, my people, employees, or our parents or grandparents do a better job with their child right now. Wow. What if you say some of your children haven't been in school, so we're going to provide you a whole bunch of resources for you, even though, you know, on how to be a teacher as a parent. And I think the other way around is, is how to get healthier. We're, our company's really focused right now. Um, uh, we have 178 employees on wellness. I mean, we are just all over this right now. I mean, you know, uh, we can hardly go in the stairwell without bumping into a coworker right now because it's almost you take if you get seen taking an elevator, you're in trouble. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. So I, I think this is a great time to 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 unite and get together and say, you know, let's be both physically healthy and mentally healthy because Rallis, leadership is an inside job. And if you don't get your inside right, you're not going to get your outside right. I think for too long, we've been so focused on the outside, we haven't spent enough time helping people on the inside. That is is profound. I got to give you this for that one. Boy, that was great. Um, It kind of goes back to the old saying about the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Because if you're helping these parents and grandparents, like you said, it's going to not only make the community better, not on your organization better, but everyone. 
in the in, in the whole area better. I spoke to the third biggest women in real estate conference two Fridays ago, and I Lexus Bolin, who's a real estate superstar, had booked me. And we all went in, we had masks and all those things, but people were talking. And I noticed that um, I noticed that so many young realtors, when I say young, it doesn't mean age. It could mean young in the in the business. Right. We're going up to some of the more experienced realtors because it was it was award ceremony. So I knew I could look on the big screen where they were rotating all the top salespeople and figure out who they were. Uh-huh. And and all these um, agents were going up to these people, thanking them for their help, thanking them for their coaching. And what really amazed me, Rollis, is these were agents that might be at this agency thanking a real estate that works at another a realtor that works uh-huh. at another agency. Yes. So then at dinner, I got to sit with the troop of like the top salespeople. And once again, I noticed these people stopping by to thank them for their help. So I said, I noticed that you guys go out of your way to help others that actually could be a competitor to you. Why do you do that? Mm-hmm. And Alexis Bolin, no wonder she's a superstar, said, well, because I believe in a abundance versus scarcity. And I believe that a culture of abundance, that we're here to grow the pie, not fight over the pie. And Alexis, by the way, they used to advertise, she sold a home like every 29 hours. I actually had her come to Baptist Hospital and I was there and talk about excellence. But here she is giving away every tool, every tip, all of them were. And and I, I got, that's really hit me. I have an article showing up in, in, in the paper this week on, you know, you think of scarcity, you think of abundance. So, so my main message here is be careful because a lot of that is programmed from the time we're little. Mm. And we're, we're scarcity thinkers because we've been raised like that or we're abundance thinker. But uh, if you go back and what you just said, Rallis, is I'm, I'm echoing. I'm just, well, you say in three seconds, I say in 30 minutes, unfortunately, for the people. <laughs> I, um, love it. Is, I love it. Is, is, is why are all these realtors giving away their tips? Because their number one priority is not selling real estate. Their number one priority is creating a great community. Because mm, yes. they create a great community, then they'll sell more real estate. And I think we've got to quit. I see it in our community. We sometimes fall into the trap of thinking the pie is finite and just fighting for our slice instead of saying, how do we make this a bigger pie? Yes. Yes. That is so true. So that... That really helps us to kind of put all of this in perspective that the more that we are not just looking, not just at our organization, but how can we help the employees at the organization and the community can help everyone full circle. Well, that's why and I'll do some statements. I've never believed in non-competes. I never had them in my company because why should I limit someone by from getting a better job, particularly in a community where they'd have to move out of the community now in order to get a promotion or a job because they have a non-compete. Non-competes have always bothered me because I think that doesn't go in the thing of of growing companies and, and making people helpful. The, the other thing I knew would never sign was an exclusive arrangement because the goal is to help everyone. And if you sign an exclusive arrangement, just because you can make a few more bucks, you're not helping everyone in the whole community. And one of the stories I'll never forget is a hospital wanted us to sign an exclusive. And I just told him I couldn't do it. Um, their, um, one of their executives was in a tragic accident and was brought to another hospital. 
because he was closest to that hospital. He was in a drug-induced coma for 42 days. The administrators at the hospital that he was working at took turns with the family being in the ICU at all times. Now, my question is, when your coworker is hurt and in a hospital that you consider a competitor, how good do you want that hospital to be? You want it to be awesome. You want it to be awesome. And that's what I tell people all the time. You, you, your goal is to make your, the world better, your country better, your state better, your community better, your organization better. So you have to be willing to be helpful. And that's why I have great respect for doctors. If somebody calls a doctor, an oncologist in Miami, calls an oncologist in Seattle to talk about a patient because he heard that oncologist in Seattle is really having success treating this type of cancer. The Seattle uh, oncologist in Seattle would never say, I'm sorry, but that's a trade secret. I can't share that (laughs) with you. So we can learn a lot from physicians because they are wonderful at sharing what's working. Because you know what they put first? The patient. Love that. Love that. Quint, man, I tell you, you're, you're, you're a legend, my man, but at the same time, you're just so relevant. Everything you're talking about is like what's happening right now, not 15, 20 years ago. And so I applaud you for staying in the game and helping us. Thank you. Well, I, asked, I asked myself that because, you know, um, April 1st, I'm sort of reintroducing myself or at least in healthcare because I can now go back in full swing on things. And so I asked myself these three questions on, you know, one, do I still have passion for healthcare? And I think the answer is yes. N- number two, am I still relevant? Or am I like, what is he doing here? I thought he left this place. So am I still relevant? And luckily through all these wonderful people on LinkedIn and buying books, um, you helping me be relevant, Rollis, I'm very grateful. Um, Yeah, I'm still relevant. But then the third thing is, do I still have tools and techniques that I can develop and offer? Because that's what excites me. And I really think I do you know, just like the tools and techniques we went through today. So I'm just extremely grateful. What I tell in my new book, The Calling, I talk about the first two years I couldn't work in healthcare, how depressed I was, didn't realize what an impact it would be. And I understood that. I accepted it. I'm not, it's my issue, but man, it was still difficult. I went to therapy. I had back aches, stomach aches, headaches. I got spec imaging of my brain trying to figure out what's going on. And, and then some people threw me lifelines. Try Health asked me to be on their board. Hazelton Betty Ford asked me on their board. Cami asked me on the board. AUPHA, making sure I sp- I've been speaking to college classes once a week for a while now, all complimentary. And Rallis, you threw me a lifeline by being on, on your show on a regular basis. So you're one of my lifeline guys, and I really wow. appreciate that for doing that. I'm humbled by that. I, I was talking to other people about you today. I was just like, this is someone I've admired and watched for many years, and I, I feel honored that I'm going to have my third time interviewing him. So thank you. So it's like we helped each other out. So thank you very much for being here today. You're amazing. I definitely want to have you back if you'll come back. Always. Okay. 